After recording this episode, we became aware that Pavel left the SOAP conference team after one year. To further clarify, Pavel did not have a role in the formation of Meet content, though he is an active member of the community. Content Content regrets any confusion or offense to those involved. This is Content Content, a monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. This is episode number 16, recorded June 13th, 2017. Today's guest is Pavel Kowalik, a technical writer from Krakow, Poland. He is also the co-founder of the SOAP Conference, which includes the exclamation point. Uh, you could find out more about the SOAP Conference at soapconf.com. Pavel, how are you today, and what's the uh, weather like in Poland? Hey, Ed, um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing, I'm doing good, thanks. Um, the, and the weather is wonderful. It's, uh, it's short-sleeve weather, very sunny, and everything's green and, you know, back to normal, back to the way I like it after a long, long winter. Yeah, I can imagine. It, it's, uh, it wasn't a terrible winter here, but uh, I, I can't imagine what it's like in Poland. <laughs> so, um, Pavel, why don't you start off in telling us um, a little bit about your background and uh, about your path in technical communication. It's interesting to hear um, that there is a technical communication community inside Poland, so we could talk about that. But let's start out with uh, how you got there. Sure, yeah. So um, I started like many people out here, uh, but I started pretty early um, in the sense that uh, the notion of a technical writer didn't really surface until like 2005, 2006. I started in, in 2008. Now, of course, there were people who were authoring technical content before that, but they usually didn't refer to themselves as that. Um, and I, hmm. I'm talking about people from the traditional manufacturing uh, side of the industry mostly, you know, um, all those big factories and the military complexes, etc. Um, and they, you know, they were um, documentation engineers writing for, you know, serious uh, machines and production systems, etc. And, uh, and of course, um, software companies, which usually had um, software developers who would write some documentation, you know, okay. um, coders who would write the documentation. Um, it's <laughs> hard, it's hard for, like, a lot of people wouldn't even recognize the term. Um, <laughs> That's not too different than here in the U.S., actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, um, but um, ever since um, big outsourcing started, here in Poland, uh, companies coming oh, okay. here, you know, uh, setting up their documentation departments alongside their development. Um, people started seeing a technical writer in job postings, in job adverts, and that's where I saw it first. You know, I saw uh, something that says technical writer. I, I googled it, uh, read, <laughs> read, yeah, read the Wikipedia article. I was an aspiring writer back then, so I, uh, okay. I thought, hey, Thomas Pynchon was a technical writer. Maybe I could be like Thomas Pynchon, you know, just uh, do the same. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, I got into it in 2008 and uh, very clearly um, I realized that uh, the technical path of, like, supporting other technical writers is right for me. So I um, I started developing um, some coding skills and started writing macros and started writing some scripts. Um, and, and, yeah, and um, and then pretty soon I, I, I got into the work of... Um, content management, you know, slash technical consulting, slash content strategy, and all those things that are necessary to get uh, small teams off the ground. Um, and around that time, we started thinking about organizing the community here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed um, you were actually part of a Madcap, I'm sorry, Madcap Flare users group. So that's interesting that 
Um, first of all, A, I have listeners in Poland, and thank you all for listening, um, but that there's a Madcap Flare group and that there's, it seems like there's a pretty vibrant community in, in Poland. Yes, there is. Yeah, actually, yes, there is. Yeah, so um, back when we started with uh, SOAP, the exclamation mark included, <laughs> um, uh, it was, you know, like uh, there were no um, technical writing conferences or any kind of groups actively working uh, there was a small there was a small group that worked for about a year um then they disbanded people were busy you know there wasn't mm -hmm. much interest but then you know there was a gap of like a couple of years and then we started with soap uh, we, we figured hey let's just throw a conference together which we thought mm -hmm. was going to be easy you know so um <laughs> <laughs> so after a sure few months sure yeah. it is yeah i mean it were it, it worked out f good enough you know like there was a it was a, a it was a day full of talks there was more than 100 people in the first one Oh, nice. It was, yeah, it was already pretty popular, and it turns out that there was, uh, uh, in parallel, there was a, a blog running called Technical Writer or TechWriter.pl, uh, okay. which, which is in Polish. So it's not very much. That's not useful to our audiences outside of Poland that much. <laughs> but, but yeah, but it, it, it was happening, and uh, and we had the conference. And the conference uh, came at a time where the interest was sparked. So then. Um, you know, more people started identifying as technical writers, started started getting together, and uh, I left SOAP after three years of organizing, and then uh, some okay. other folks took over, but then uh, I got involved in something called ITCQF, which is a, a training um, out, outfit, which, uh, well, it's, more, it's less of a training, it's more of a certification kind of thing, and there's a training course for beginner technical writers attached to that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So you can get a certificate, and there are some uh, university programs. Um, some of them organized by companies, like for, for example, Motorola in Krakow organizes a um, uh, a course uh, for, oh, wow. for for you know for students to get into it, um, and some and some others uh, some other universities out here. This is this is a university town, really. There's a, oh, okay. a, a nice. lot of schools. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so a, a lot of young people, um, um, and um, Soap also generated uh, something called Meet Content. It's a it's a community that organizes meetups. So there's a lot of that happening. Uh, I think there's one every month. There's a bunch of webinars on YouTube, some of which I I, I also took part in. Um, yeah, and uh, and then the Flare user group, which you started with, uh, is very recent. And there's actually a meetup uh, today. The day we're recording this, um, there's a meetup later on. Um, the first meetup of the Flare user group. So, you know, see. Oh, I'll see be right there. <laughs> <laughs> sounds what? good. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I, you know, I mean, it sounds like there's a pretty good community there. I mean, do you know, is there an approximate number of technical writers that you know of, or even, you know, anything related like a content strategist or information architecture? Or, you know, is that, how big is your community there? Yeah, so we, uh, we did a salary survey around techwriter.pl. Um, okay. And we got 200 responses. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's you know, uh, I mean, uh, the SOAP conference just uh, happened uh, last week, Thursday and Friday, and it was about 140 people uh, that wow. that attended. Yeah, but the 200 is you know an unrelated number. I would say I don't know like how many there are actually. You know, this mm -hmm. is just a, this is just the respondents, um, and the majority of them are technical writers. 
Okay, so um, I guess that leads to the question: What's the market like? Is it growing? Are there is there a demand now, or is there like you said, it became a buzzword a few years ago? Is there a glut of people who decided, oh, I want to be a technical writer now? Yeah, the market is growing, and uh, it's um, in, here in Krakow. It's a very much a, an employees market, so there's oh, more nice. rec- more recruiters chasing after people to do the work than there's people looking for work. Um, and that that goes for technical writing as well. And there's, it, it's it's pretty hard to find someone uh, to fill the, all the positions, just because you know when people get involved in an organization, they tend to spend just a, a little bit longer there. You know, so mm. there's there's not that much rotation. People get trained. It takes okay. a you know like a half a year to get trained, and up to a year, and then you know you start collecting your experience. So you stay there for a few years, right? But then Makes there's sense. more and more demand, right? More and more demand, and um, uh, so there, there are some Facebook groups for technical writers, and there's always someone posting mm. job ads there. And then TechWriter.pl gets um, approached by recruiters all the time as well to post details about new job offers. So, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So, um, huh? So, are the opportunities are they Polish companies? Are they international companies? I, you run a company now that's for tech writers, so. Where are your clients coming from? Is it global or is it specifically for in Poland? It's a mix, and it's uh, it used to be the majority of them be um, uh, global companies, okay. but now it's more and more Polish companies as they as they get stronger and bigger and get an influx of people who understand uh, the need for this service. You know, so so traditionally uh, production companies and even software companies wouldn't see the need for a technical writer. But now mm-hmm. they do, you know. Now they do. Now that they've had experience with like an international community, a big project, and and they themselves deliver huge products. They see, you know, there's a need for a person who is not developing but is thinking about communicating to the user. So, what kind of requirements are there? Is it are you writing, you know, if you're obviously if you're writing for a global company, you're writing in English, but. Are you for your Polish clients? Are you writing in Polish and translating, or the, the reverse? Well, so usually, um, yeah, usually we write in English. Um, sometimes it's going to be in Polish, um, but we usually don't do the translation as technical writers because uh, a translator is cheaper. You know, huh. like okay. the hourly rate is, is cheaper, so they just get someone else well, to translate. Yeah, yeah. It's easiest to write in English because it's a good pivot language to other languages when you're translating. So it's easier to find somebody who will translate from, say, English to Swedish than from Polish to Swedish. You know, and the rate is going to be lower okay. if you're going from English to Swedish. So, 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 okay. so that's oh, the okay. reason. Yeah, yeah. But Polish people are, uh, the Eng- uh, their English is good enough. Hmm. To write to write this technical content, so you don't have to be Shakespeare, right? You just have to communi- <laughs> communicate clearly, right? And and know grammar, uh, etc. And um, I guess the th- the thing that is also interesting about Polish technical writers is they're so young, you know. Like if hmm. you go out, you go out to a conference in Europe, and everyone's uh, uh, in their forties or fifties, and here everyone's right. in their twenties and thirties. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and and, and they're more um, they're more. Uh, uh, keen to learn and use technology and and this is where kind of the new skill set comes in where uh, a technical writer is often a mix between a 
an author of documentation and a UX designer or somebody mm-hmm. who does usability studies. You know, there's more there's more of those kind of things plus technical skills. You know, and like if you go to a team that ra- that creates an API, a product with a strong API, and you're the technical author, you may be inclined to like learn a little bit of coding to automate your scripts and you know work in the branches that uh, the developers work in, and you know write some more integrations and some clever things for your website. Hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, well, it's not crazy, but, um, you know, to your point about the 40s and 50s folks, um, you know, you can't see it behind my microphone, but my beard is pretty gray. Um, and, you know, when you go to conferences, you do see, you know, a lot of older folks and people who have been in the industry for a long time. Um, you know, I just went to STC Summit in uh, Washington, D.C. last month. And, you know, I did see some younger folks, but it does seem like it's a trending older um, older audience, I guess, in the United States. So it's interesting to hear that it's up and coming because I've always been concerned that, hey, where are the people who are replacing us when we retire in 10, 15, 20 years or X amount of years? So uh, sounds like they're coming from Poland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my company, 3DI Poland, when we went to SOAP, we did a, a selfie contest. Uh, if you If you take a selfie with the frame <laughs> nice. that we provided. <laughs> yeah, if you take a photo... Uh, um, uh, you can win a prize if you get the most likes, and if you look at these selfies, everyone's like twenty something, you know, which nice. is you know, which is which is which is pretty cool, yeah. And uh, um, like like I was saying, you know, this uh, this mix of skills comes in because uh, the other thing about Krakow and and other major Polish cities is there's a lot of startups, and those startups will sometimes get creative about what they do with content. So hmm. they want, yeah. So they want somebody who will write the content, but also uh, train uh, train the customers, and also, like I said, you know, like develop some clever things, do some UX design or some usability studies, or like, you know, like uh, integrate whatever you're writing with the interface and kind of single source it. You know, like the, they get all those create creative um, productivity ideas. Hmm. Nice. That's that's exciting because I think. A lot of people are, oh, we have to create a manual and we have to create a PDF or we have to create print and there's nothing exciting about it and people aren't using it. So to hear, uh, you know, that there's people that are doing that is, is exciting. So, I, yeah, I think um, I'm curious, is that what's the market like? Is it primarily in Krakow or is it, um, you know, is it countrywide in Poland? Is there demand for writers across the country? Um, it's um, it, uh, well. Uh, if I just judge by the uh, by the community that I see and the job adverts and the and the um, a survey we did about salaries, it's mostly Krakow or Krakow, Krakow is like more than fifty percent of the market. Okay. Uh, but then there's other big cities, um, which also which are also pretty vibrant, uh, especially in the um, western part of Poland, which is the industrial area. Uh, but then um, okay. big cities get saturated. The markets, you know, like they, they drain all the creative young people that they can and mm-hmm. they start setting up businesses in, in smaller cities you know, and other cities. So more oh, and more okay. cities are, are up and coming in Poland. And I think we're, we're still, uh, the, the peak is still ahead of us before it starts oh. to peter out. You know, I think, I think there's going to be, there's going to be more growth. In fact, uh, not specifically technical writing, but the outsourcing business in Krakow has been growing by 20% every year for the last four years. Wow. Uh, and I mean number of jobs, you know. So uh, this year started with 100,000 
uh, jobs in the in the in the in the business in the outsourcing business uh, that's out of one million inhabitants hmm. wow yeah yeah and they they are projecting that by the end of the year it's going to be one hundred and twenty thousand people a twenty percent growth wow. yeah so that's, that's fantastic that's, yeah it's it's pretty crazy to be honest yeah I can imagine so how does that mean how have you seen the the profession grow in your time there yes definitely uh, like I said um, before we started soap there was this other organization that existed it was by the way it was called TCPIP which uh, <laughs> nice. is short short for wow. <laughs> short short for technical communication professionals in Poland TCPIP right yeah so um, um, uh, so like I said um, they operated for a little bit but then um, they kind of lost interest and there was a gap there wasn't that much interest in you know like attending events back then weren't so many people who were able to get out of their shell get out mm. of the office and, and come to these meetings but now uh, now there's more and I uh, and when I started my first job as a technical writer in 2008 it, it was a team of uh, I want to say 12 people and when I when I left a few years later it was 40 people in the Krakow office hmm yeah, yeah, doing doing documentation and training, and um, and at the same time, you know, like when I started, there was two other big companies that had small teams and maybe a bunch of single technical writers in some companies, and now there's you know like there's a bunch of big teams, you know, those those uh, and there twenty thirty people teams. In big wow. organizations, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it has grown, and, and and the community of practice has grown. You know, you can, you, you can find more and more people who are, for example, um, uh, not just data specialists, but they can do style sheets in in Dittauti, for example, right? Or you can find people who uh, have successfully become UX designers, and they uh, work as senior UX designers in different companies. They run the usability studies. Um, People who have trained here and moved on to, um, uh, sometimes even moved out of Poland, you know, but uh, pursuing the careers in content strategy, etc. Okay. Interesting. So you're saying that the field is growing. Is there opportunity if someone from the States wanted to come over and, um, and you know, f and find a job in Poland? Is there an easy transfer? Uh, have you seen anything like that happening? Um, I have seen it, uh, but just a few times, not not many. I guess people are not that interested in moving to Poland, you know, um, hmm. uh, from the U.S. Uh, if you're moving from Ukraine, for example, it's much more attractive. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but it, it it should be pretty pretty simple, especially when with such high demand, you know, and if you have a lot of experience, you could especially take up the. Um, like senior architect position or like a team leader kind of thing. Okay. Now, are you seeing fragmentation? Like, you know, it used to be there were technical writers, but then there's UX designers and content strategists and information architects. Um, since the tech writing field has picked up in Poland, are those other roles or are those other titles being um, being looked at as well? Or are there is there a market for those special specialties? There is, and and part of it is not really strictly connected to technical writing. So some of them, okay, will be yeah, will be you know just like native software kind of software developers need UX designers, and they're going to use those UX designers. But some of it is been driven 
through let let's say a grassroots kind of movement you know from the bottom up from the technical writers hmm. into oh, cool. the product team and telling them we need this and we need that and also if there's a if if a team grows because the volume of content grows you know the content that they need to support um you know so it gets from 10 people to 20 people but then they discover automation or discover better ways of doing things and they don't need to do so much writing anymore they tend to specialize mm. You know, so they mm-hmm. come up with a more sophisticated workflow and uh, turn themselves into editors, quality uh, champions, testers, etc. That's another thing that's interesting, which I haven't seen so much, is documentation testing. Um, hmm. and yeah, there's there's thoughts of like uh, doing this more formally and more kind of repeat, uh, like in a repeatable way that can be transferred to other other units. Because right now there's just small islands, but it's you know I was pretty surprised when I heard it uh, somewhere last year, you know, and I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Documentation testing makes sense, right? So so yeah, uh, yeah. So 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 um, just to uh, maybe expand on what I mean by that is mm. um, is uh, you could do um, your sanity tests on what you publish. For example, you publish a website, and you need to have like regression testing of whether all the links work, whether the content isn't missing missing where it shouldn't be because of conditioning, etc. So like those, you know, like sanity checks, which make your QA process quicker. Whatever your QA process is, checking something after publication, right? But then, uh, on the other hand, you can do even more than that. You could put uh, metrics in place which will uh, be uh, fed by the peer review and count how many like errors somebody made, which will uh, integrate looking at terminology and spell checks, which will maybe even run through procedures if that's doable, uh, at least in the sense of, you know, like subsequent steps contain labels of buttons. Do those buttons exist? Can you click them? If not, hmm. you know, maybe it's an error. So like people are talking about this kind of things and, and, and working in their small fields trying to figure out scripts and whatnot for that. Now there is at the same time a very good and vibrant tester community um, hmm. in Poland. Um, and and if we could find a bridge between those two communities, maybe some testers could share good practices and we could start introducing them into into the world of documentation. Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Um I've never heard of documentation testing before, so that's uh, that's new. It sounds like, honestly, you know, if you're doing from the bottom up with technical writers and the demand is growing and people are actually listening to technical writers, I have to say it sounds like you've got it pretty good over there in Poland because we don't get that kind of respect or we don't get that kind of opportunity here in the States. So uh, it sounds like you're kind of doing things right over there. <laughs> I mean, thank you very much. Uh, it is hard, you know. It is hard for a technical author to get that respect because, like you said, they often technical authors often think of themselves as inferior. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then, and then uh, software developers or product designers kind of... In, enforce that reinforce that feeling but if you um, really put your heart into it um, as a technical writer and you know show your professionalism and pe- people start to respect you and you start mm. to respect yourself so that's what I kind of um, wish um, more technical writers felt you know this kind of um, uh, being certain of your own skills and being able to persuade others to your points and to your opinions right yeah I agree I, I frequently say that um Technical communicators are the Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield of the techni- technical world because we get no respect. But it's interesting to see, hey, you know, you're right. If you do your, your job well and you earn that respect, then you get more. And I've seen that over my career. Of course, my career seems to have been a little bit longer than yours at this point. Um, but, yes, I think it takes time and I think it takes that 
you know, instead of having that head down, I'm just the writer kind of mentality to, to head up and, and, you know, realize that you're part of a larger organization. So that's really interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then there's, um, we touched a little bit about, uh, a little bit on the topic of um, um, simplifying the workflow and kind mm-hmm. of autom- automating things. So I, I've, I've, I've come across this um, fear that some people have of automation, especially technical writers in the more traditional organizations. Mm. You know, when it, you know, it has been their job every release cycle to spend a week curating those PDFs or, you know, like checking the links or whatever. And then somebody comes up with a, with a macro or a script that automates, you know, checks all the links, renames all the files, moves them or something, <laughs> you know. And then they feel like, okay, so what am I going to do now? And uh, I've talked to, um, uh, actually, uh, uh, it's uh, a person not from Poland, but working in Europe, running a company that provides those scripts and automation. And he actually um, had to go out of business because... <laughs> Technical writers were not recommending his solutions to their bosses, oh, you know, and and he he spoke to some of them, and they said they don't want to be out of out of jobs, you know, which is kind <laughs> of you know it, this kind of attitude happens in Poland as well, and I'm not saying it's just outside of Poland, you know, but there's a there's a definite tendency, not and again not just in Poland but everywhere to accept automation and see how much it um, makes you you know work more on the um, creative tasks you know and more you know contribute more of the things that are unique to you as a as a as a, as a human you know your creativity yeah, your yeah. problem solving skills etc not necessarily going through all the files and renaming them or something right exactly and i couldn't do my job without automation i have a very small team here in the united states um and without automation and without data i don't think that uh that we'd be as successful as we have been so far um so yeah, speaking of Dita, and uh, I noticed I did a Google image search on you last night um, to see that you're a very young gentleman, which was nice to see. Um, but I also noticed on one of the images that came up, it says that uh, you called yourself a Dita geek. So uh, as, as, a, as a converted Dita fan, um, what's your Dita, you know, tell me a little bit more about your Dita experience and what kind of tools people are using in Poland. It sounds like Flare's a big one. Um, interesting to see that Dita is too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I uh, like uh, uh, like when I started as a technical writer, we were writing in an XML standard, which wasn't Dita. And okay. this was this was by the by the way Motorola in Krakow, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a you know um, a very strong uh, company with a lot of traditions and a lot of um, good content, and it was all held in this uh, custom XML solution. And then um, uh, people running the team found that we could. Uh, gain some more productivity if we use Dira because it comes with it's a standard and it comes with some tools which you know help you make mm-hmm. your make your processes um, more robust. So we started migrating to Dita, to Dita and because I was the script slash programmer guy in the documentation mm-hmm. team, they asked me to participate. So I took part in all the efforts that led up to full Dita adoption, which took uh, it took it, it took a good few years to implement. Yeah. yeah. So there was <laughs> first there was, yeah. So first there was the uh, setting up the processes and the roles and think coming up with a content strategy, and then moving the content into the data format and then redoing it so that reuse works and everything is mm-hmm. semantically sound, etc. That's a lot of work, and you have to set up uh, a QA process along the way, a way to teach authors and the whole change process because a lot of people just reject uh, anything that is new and 
mm. is a is a drain on productivity at first, you know, and you know it's right, it's, yeah. it's reasonable, right? It's reasonable to to detest that. So yeah, so you have to convince them. So that that's another piece of work. So um, so through throughout all this process, I learned many different aspects of a of a technical writing setup you know so mm-hmm. not just not just the technology but how to manage the team and how to prove ROIs and how to find um you know f- find uh, process improvements and and build processes which are iterable and can be improved and can improve upon themselves so that you know that that, that was a lot and uh, when i when i call myself a data geek that's because i uh, spend a lot of time coding uh the um, the scripts coding the data ot style sheets <laughs> um, you know all the all the detailty stuff, the the Ant scripts and the Java classes that go with it. I had to learn to code in Java, and I hate Eclipse. Uh, any Eclipse fans out there? I don't mean to offend. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just so many sleepless nights trying to figure out why my jars don't build. Uh, and then you know testing those XSLs in your Notepad, like running, writing them in your Notepad, running through the uh, publication process, seeing what went wrong. You know, and uh, going from a very primitive setup to a more sophisticated one, I worked with some wonderful people who came up with lots of um, improvements. One of them was a, uh, a suite for testing our data uh, setup. So when we updated the style sheets, we ran it through a battery of tests that, that told us what we broke, basically. Oh, and wow. we could you know, go back and, and, and work on that. And it showed us what the differences are in output right now. So the content is the same, but what we changed. And we see if we changed what we wanted or whether we changed more than we wanted to, right? And something else hmm. fell apart. And we even built our own um, uh, online help setup, uh, like an online help output. So, oh, grab cool. those, yeah, so grab those data HTML files. Uh, we updated the transform to make it HTML5, um, like like real HTML5, and then the JavaScript around it to uh, have the TOC, the search, and then added some uh, commenting capabilities. So you could have like your own standalone online help, which you can comment on and make your own notes and save it for later, share it with other people. Nice. Was a, yeah, there was a lot of innovation in that team. It was a, it was. Um, I was real sorry to to move on. And coming <laughs> back to the community, like you said, um, there's Dita and then there's Flare. Yeah, so okay. it's it's those two approaches. You're either hardcore XML um, because there's a huge uh, documentation set and a huge process and a lot of reuse and you know many teams you have to coordinate and maybe there's suppliers who also have data content. So there's this whole philosophy behind that. And on the other hand, there's uh, quick small small projects when you use the those H. AT or HAT tools, you know, help authoring mm. tools like Madcap Flare or RoboHelp or, you know, whatever else, help, help and manual, uh, which makes your uh, life easy and you can set up a new pro- project quickly and make updates quickly. Uh, but then there's the third thing, the the light markup languages and static pages, like, okay. you know, like Markdown and, 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 uh, and all of those, uh, you know, Sphinx setups. And, and I think there's uh, three competing ones. Um, you know, and, and, and there's always people uh, pointing out the faults in the other ones, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the key uh, the key notion here is that you know the, the, these one, these are popular with um, API docs and where you develop documentation alongside your software developers, so you keep it with the uh, you know docs with code. Yeah, you're right, describing a branch, and then the branch is merged. The doc, uh, the docs are merged as well, and you publish the site. Every night with with the latest updates. 
Right. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm even more glad that you reached out to me uh, about the podcast because I am shoulder deep in XSL right now, um, and you know I'm trying to rewrite the uh, the index.html output, uh, you know, to do divs and everything, do divs and classes around it, and I am just having a hell of a rough time figuring out selectors. So uh, I might reach out to you and see uh, if I can get uh, pick your brain a little bit to see uh, what it's doing because I've been trying to do. XSL for years and years and years, and I finally got my head around it. But there's those couple of walls, I guess, that you know. You hit a wall, and you're like, well, now what do I do? And you just go back, and you're driving yourself crazy trying to figure out, you know, what's calling what and what's coming from where. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I'm using Oxygen, which is a pretty good tool. But uh, it's still, it's just... Uh, it's it's a hell of a learning curve, I think. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, I I can help you whatever I can do. You know, just <laughs> let me know. Um, yeah, because it, it is a it is a learning process, and I think it's interesting because uh, I've worked on a team where uh, I I started doing those XSLs, and then uh, I was given more and more responsibility, and uh, I needed a backup, so I trained somebody up, okay. and then trained another person up, and there was a there was a group of us coming in and out of the team. Um, and eventually, a few people have been through through it, and it, it was a real school of, school of hard knocks. Like <laughs> literally, you know, like literally tomorrow we have to publish a PDF, but it doesn't doesn't build. What do you do now? You know, so you like figure it out and you know make make it work. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I'm glad we don't do print or PDF because I do not want to touch FO XSL enough. XSLT is enough for me. So uh, interesting. But I do, you know, that goes back to your point about the, the you know, the, the languages such as Markdown, where Dita is complex, it's, you know, but it's necessarily complex, I think. But I wonder, and it seems like, you know, especially developers have taken off with Markdown. And I'm wondering if you see, you know, people are requesting more Markdown or if there's tech writers in Poland who are specializing in Markdown. Um, yeah, definitely. There are technical writers who specialize in Markdown here. Um, and like I said, they usually work with those API teams mostly, but okay. some other software developers as well. Um, like I think there's two approaches popular in Poland for those uh, for um, software docs. Um, it's going to be either wikis or those okay. uh, Markdown and languages like that. Um, and uh, uh, you know, people sometimes request it, but with with customers, I find it's often that. Um, like they they've heard about something and they feel like it's the way to go and then we work together to figure out whether it's really the way to go for them you know cuz um, uh, they might have heard of markdown and never heard of dira but maybe for them dira okay. is better you know you know what i mean right mm, right okay yeah you got to listen to your clients basically is what you're saying yeah nice um so your company is Three, it's it's called 3DI, but you're, is it third I? Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> no, no, it's pronounced 3DI. It's, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a UK-based company actually, um, and the office in Krakow is just a, a wholly-owned subsidiary. If you want to get into the legal terms, okay. the um, yeah, it's just it's just a daughter company. Um, 3DI has been in in the business for uh, 14 years, I think. Okay. And, and and 3DI in Krakow started last year in January, and we've you know, we've started building up the team. The 3DI, the it stands for there's three Ds, so that's uh, design, okay. develop, deliver, and I stands for information. Oh, interesting. So were you involved? It sounds like you know you started a conference. It sounds like you're, you've started this subsidiary company in Poland. It sounds like you have an entrepreneurial spirit. Is am I getting? Am I reading you correctly? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, it's it's fun doing new things, and um, 
it's always um it's always stressful it's always a fear mm-hmm. you know i remember my first uh couple of months of running this company was uh com- i was I, I would come back home lay on the couch in the fetal position my wife would say are you okay oh, i would geez. say yeah i'm okay i just need just need a few minutes yeah just, just overwhelmed mm. and stressed about this responsibility mm. but then it gets better you know and then uh this is something that i would like to uh, get out there to our audience, you know, uh, encourage everyone, you know, get out of your, I don't know, it sounds like a cliche, get out of your comfort zone. No, because, I agree. You know, yeah, there's there's cool stuff out there and you can really, you can really change your life for the better. Yeah, I was at the STC Summit Conference, I can't remember who she was speaking, but basically, uh, actually I got a lot of retweets on it. She said, you know, life begins when you step out of your comfort zone, so it's interesting to hear. Um, and I've certainly stepped out of mine a few times and it's worked out for the better, I think. Um, without not without its challenges, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, I mean, what you said about accessibilities, you wouldn't get into that if you stayed in, within your comfort zone, you know. Right. Yeah. And and you know, and it's fun to see people get out and start speaking, you know. And soap is a good good catalyst for people uh, for Polish technical authors to start speaking. Um, the audience is very friendly, and and mm-hmm. it's always nice. It's always nice to be there. It's it's very well organized, and I don't see Polish people speaking outside of Poland that much. Um, okay, which is something I would like to see more. But also, you know, when you're just at, uh, when you're just you, you have just been writing your whole life and never got out to even go to a conference and and, and listen to people. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's good. It's good to challenge yourself. You know, like you said, get out of this comfort zone for a minute. I agree with you. Absolutely. And once I started attending conferences, same thing, that sense of community, the networking and all kind of built up. Um, so since we're talking about challenges, what are some of the challenges that technical writers are currently facing uh, in Poland and uh, I guess in general? Um, yeah. So um, uh, one problem is if you're running a team um, or looking for colleagues to join your team, um, there's not that many trained people. Uh, who are willing to change okay. change their jobs? So there's a lot of training uh, going on of uh, of junior people. You know, somebody out of university, and that's uh, I, I would say the challenge is to have a good recruitment process. You know, a very like a repeatable interviewing scheme. Unless uh, you know, if you haven't done this before, you know, to really gauge the gauge the skills of the technical author. And then you know, like I have a like a structured test or whatever, and then the training process that you that you run them through. Hmm. So, so those could be the those could be the challenges. And um, um, and luckily we're in a very good place um, in terms of the growing market um, hmm. because that also makes the the salaries still grow. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So so compared to, compared to well. Interesting about uh, technical authors in Poland. A lot of them are like like myself. Uh, I I, um, I graduated from uh, the English department. My my major okay. was in, my major was in history of the English language. If you can believe that. Oh, nice. Mine yeah. was journalism. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's who, who you you would call non-technical people. You know. Right. A lot of a lot of creative people or you know, language people, teachers, translators. Hmm. They, be, they become the technical authors. Um, not so many technical people, but now we're seeing more, you know, like like people who studied UX or design or things like that, and they get into technical writing. Hmm. I'm actually in the process of uh, hiring a, a, a team member. So, what kind of questions do you ask potential technical writers, potential hires, or what kind of questions do companies ask of of their potential tech com hires? 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so one thing I found cool that I've seen people do during interviews is um, um, uh, try, try to see how they react to being well criticized maybe or like hmm. like challenged you know so you, like you ask someone okay you wrote this word configuration here with a capital c but then you wrote it with lowercase c why nice. why aren't you consistent and then like you see how they how they respond whether they can you know say um okay i didn't notice that or they they would say there's a reason and they say why or they get defensive right and it's a hmm. it's, that's an interesting gauge of you know like who you're dealing with and then what I like to do is also um, look at the team that the, that exists and see what kind of person we need. Do we need an introvert? Do we need an extrovert? Do we need somebody who's huh. more technical? You know, like this kind of like to balance balance the team, and then kind of ask some questions about motivation because they can usually tell me what this person is going to be lo- uh, looking for. I use the um, pink uh, theory of pink's theory of motivation. Uh, so people are either motivated by by being independent and making their own decisions, or they want to be a part of a community, or they hmm. want to be the master of something. You know, they want to be the best at something. Uh, at at any given point in time, you're looking for one of the three probably, and you can probably somehow narrow it down to one of these three, or it could be, or it could huh. be a guide for you. That's really interesting. We've had, uh, you know, I've had introverts and I've had extroverts on the on the podcast, uh, and it's certainly easy to see the difference in personality. But I've never thought of hiring to, you know, you always hire for what they say cultural fit, but you never think, okay, I've got someone who's extroverted. I need to balance that out with an introvert. I've never heard of that that hiring philosophy before. It's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I found it it works. And uh, let me give you another example. Is um, where, where people uh, are enthusiastic enthusiastic and have a lot of ideas you want to hire mm. somebody who's uh, very skeptical huh, you know okay yeah because wow. in the yeah in the meeting they're they're going to say yeah but how are you going to pay for it or yeah but where are you going to find the time to do it and you're like you know, you're challenging those ideas versus everybody saying yeah let's do it let's do it and they spend you know like work nights and kill themselves trying to do something and they burn out you know you, mm. you, don't, you don't want that you know you want you want people to strike a, a balance between their work and their their rest and you know their personal lives wow that's yeah that's cool that's uh, well now i have something to think about when i do my interviews this week thanks again you know you're uh, you're a great resource man oh, thank uh, you <laughs> so one thing you talked about um back then was uh, back earlier in the conversation was the idea of certification. I'm wondering, um, because there's been slow adoption here in the States with that, uh, the Society for Technical Communication, STC, has a uh, certified professional technical communicators program. And I think it's growing, but I think it's growing slowly. So I'm wondering if uh, certification is a necessity in, in your part of the world, or if it's just kind of a nice to have, like I think it is here now. It's it's not a necessity. Um, I guess the thinking behind the people, because well, uh, some people set it up and they asked me to participate, uh, being on the board and kind of help them, you know, like with the, with the, you know, the the, um, the technical stuff and help them with like evaluating the the courses and and, and making sure we're doing a good job content-wise when te- when teaching people, right? So that's that's kind of my role. But the the thinking behind it was that. You can have people who are completely detached, haven't had any formal training, hmm. and and they want to, and they are put in a position where they are the the sole technical author, who has to set up all the tools and the processes, etc. Right? Hey, that sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, so you know the pain. So you have to get hmm. uh, get some kind of a foothold, like any kind of frame of reference, 
you know um, and it's a great course for for, for those kinds kinds of people uh, and also if you're uh, if you've learned on the job and you want to see what the uh, methodologies are and the practices like established practices and you know, compared to what you've been doing for years that's also a good match for you, you know, oh yeah that's a good point yeah yeah it, it could generate some some new ideas for you um, and then uh, uh, the idea is that maybe when there's a, a snowball effect of a lot of people you know having those certificates employ employers starting to look at whether it's on your CV that you have it you know maybe uh, this will help grow the portfolio of the training courses and 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 really grow the knowledge base. You know, mm. be more be more useful to more people, and then it can grow more. Yeah, it's a, you know again, it's about adding all that value. Value, and it sounds like that's what the technical communicator community in Poland is doing. They're you know they're not just writers, and I think a lot of people think that they're just a writer, and that's just simply not the case anymore. People aren't paying. Uh, for that they don't see the value in just someone who's going to write and especially if it's at a certain price point when they can get someone you know outsourced uh for a much cheaper rate so i think you're right i think that we need to be heads up and not just uh ju not just the writer anymore and i've been trying to advocate that for a long time now yeah i agree i agree completely and even if if you call yourself just a writer you will notice that you don't spend the majority of your time writing or at least you shouldn't right. be you know yeah, because you don't want to be producing volumes and volumes of content. You want to be producing good content, which is enough, right? Yeah, and I see this, uh, you know, and I've mentioned this in my last podcast with Jack Molisani. You know, on social media a lot, especially on Reddit, there's a great technical writing forum on reddit.com. And uh, a lot of people are just, a lot of it is just questions of people saying, oh, well, I'm just graduating college with a English degree. Or this technical writing thing sounds interesting. Can I be a writer or can I transition to writer? And I think they all think that this is just writing procedures and writing steps. And there's, you know, there's so much more that we do that, you know, I think uh, there's a thread or somewhere, that, you know, basically, I think I've heard consistently that most technical writers spend about 10% of their time actually writing. Have you seen is that? Yeah. Have you seen that? I yeah, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know it's as, as, as much as, as, as low as 10%. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Well, you know, you're spending time, you're architecting, you're interviewing people, you know, you're, uh, you know, especially if you're in a structured environment, you're figuring out opportunities for you, reuse, you're figuring out, you know, how does the new content fit in with the old content? Uh, you know, we do data-driven content where we're, we're making sure that, um, you know, we're calling, we're getting rid of the low-performing topics or reviewing to make sure that, hey, maybe there's something here we can use elsewhere, or you're just that constant, you know, that constant sanity check to make sure that the content you have out there um, is useful. And if not, let's get rid of it. And I think, you know, there's always, like you said, there's always that, uh, that impetus to create more and more and more when we have to say, hold on a second, let's take a step back and make sure that the stuff we have is doing its job. I couldn't agree more. Woohoo. Nice. <laughs> so I think, um, the last thing I wanted to ask you was on your, uh, about page on 3DI, um, it says that you like video games that you play. You also like video games. Um, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a racing gamer. So I like, uh, you know, R-Factor and um, Assetto Corsa and Project Cars. What kind of games are you playing? Um, I like those um, open world sandbox games, you know, like... Okay. The yeah, yeah. So the kind, the kind where like you can explore and go wherever you know. You see a mountain, you can climb that mountain, and there's a monster. There's oh, okay. a gang of hoodlums that you can fight, or a zombies, <laughs> or whatever. You know, like this. 
uh, and and it, it's fun because you go to you go like into the world and you start like building up your base or whatever you know, like you know like do a little develop a little economy and manage mm. your resources and before you know it it, bec- it becomes your job and then you have to quit because <laughs> it's too much yeah. yeah yeah i hear you so um you know since you play video games uh, what is it else that you do when you're not writing or when you're not at work um uh yeah i also like writing um flash fiction i'm not familiar with that can you tell us a little bit more about that um sure yeah so flash fiction is uh very short short stories um and they can be like uh, 200 to 300 words Okay. But yeah, some people go as low as two sentences, and there's you know, huh. like sometimes two story, two sentence story competitions, which are you know, oh, pretty, wow. they get pretty creative, and, and you can feel a lot of emotion from just one of these stories. So yeah, hmm. I, I have a blog uh, full of these stories. I have uh, been writing them for like three years now or four oh, nice. years. Yeah, so there's there's quite a lot. Well, that's great. So, all right. Um, while we're talking about that, um, why don't you tell us, Pavel, where uh, everyone can find you online and find your blog and find uh, more about you? Sure. So, um, if you want to send me a friend request on Facebook or LinkedIn, um, that's always welcome. You can follow me on Twitter. Now, you can also get in touch with me through the 3DI Poland website. That's 3di.com.pl. Okay. Um, and that's my professional stuff. If you're looking for somebody to help you with your XSLs or to find <laughs> some find some writers um, who will write your content for you, that's that's where you can find me. And if you want to check out my uh, blog of uh, flash fiction, that's in English. Uh, the website is kwlk.pl. That's nice. my my last name without the without the vowels. Without the vowels, very cool. Oh, well, thanks, Pavel. Um, and for those of you you know who uh, are Polish, uh, ignorant like me, it's P-A-W-E-L-K-O-W-A-L-U-K, Pavel Kowalik. Um, I think I got that right. So again, Pavel, that was really great. I, I, you know, I really appreciated it when I got this random email saying, hey, I'm a technical writer in, uh, in Poland and I like your podcast. Can I be a guest? And I was like, well, yeah. So uh, it was great talking to you. It was great in, uh, getting to know you and uh, learning a bit more about um, – the technical communications world outside the states is really interesting. Uh, thank you, Ed. Really a pleasure. Uh, really a pleasure. Sorry, I'm too emotional. Getting too emotional <laughs> saying that, saying goodbye. Yes, it was a real pleasure uh, speaking to you and actually, you know, having a chance to even put my own thoughts into perspective when talking mm. to you. You know, like seeing it from uh, an outsider's point of view. So yeah. Um, hey, I welcome uh, more contact from you on, or our audience. Uh, if you guys have suggestions or questions or ideas of what you know we could be doing together, or you know, advice for for writers in Poland, for, I'm very much interested in that. Excellent. Well, I am certainly going to follow you on Twitter as soon as we get offline. Um, but right, you know, for now, thank you everyone for joining us. Thanks again, Pavel. It was a, a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Um, glad we got to get together so quickly and. Uh, we schedule it pretty quickly and easily, so that was nice for a change. Um, so, yeah, thank you again. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at Ed Marsh. It's real simple to spell. And, of course, at edmarsh.com. You can subscribe to the Content Content Podcast on iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio, and the Google Play Music Podcast Store. Uh, we would love it if you could write a review. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, you know, iTunes seems to be the big place, but 
you know, please let us know how we're doing, whether it's a tweet or even I, you know, even a review on one of the sites. So that way people can know about the work that we're doing. Um, if you're on Android, you can go to edmarsh.com slash podcast and subscribe using your favorite podcasting client. Uh, I say this every time I like beyond pod and they don't pay me to say that I've actually paid them for their applicate for their app. So uh, it's something I use well and it works well. So again, Pavel, thanks for a great time. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for telling us about the world uh, outside the States and in Poland. Yeah, thank you, Ed, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Great. All right, everyone, thanks again. We'll see you next time. Have a great day.